0: Hebrews 11, 17 to 23. Today we're going to talk about uh, a bunch of people in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about the faith of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses' parents. So we're going to uh, speed up a little bit and we're going to go through a lot of verses this morning. So we're going to read from Hebrews 11, 17 to 23. Here is what the author of Hebrews was saying. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who has received the promise, the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type verse 20 by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come by faith Jacob as he was dying blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff by faith Joseph he uh, by faith Joseph when he was dying made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave order regarding his bones by faith Moses when he was born Uh, was hidden for three months by his parents. So it's really the faith of Moses' parents, not the faith of Moses here. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's king's order. Amen? all right we have been in the book of hebrews now for um 56 weeks and um we say that the point of chapter 11 is that the author of hebrews is trying to encourage his readers to live their life by faith amen they are being persecuted and the persecution is so hard that they even consider abandoning christianity abandoning christ and go back to Judaism, but the author of Hebrews here, encouraging them to continue to push through and persevere, and live their their lives not by what they see, but what they do not see, the promises and the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Amen? So he's encouraging them to live by faith, and in order to accomplish that, he went through the Old Testament pretty much, and he Uh, showed them that every single person in the old testament lived their lives by faith we have seen that the author of hebrews talked about the faith of abel the faith of enoch the faith of uh, noah the faith of abraham and now he's speeding up a little bit he's going uh, through all the patriarchs of the old testament Isaac, Jacob, and uh, Joseph, and even Moses' parents. And then next week, we're going to see how he talked about the faith of Moses. Now, in this passage that um, we just read, verse 17 to verse 23, the author of Hebrews highlights three points to his readers. When he talked about Abraham offering, offering up Isaac, he's talking about the cost of faith, the cost of trusting God. This comes pricey. This is not just something you do easily. Amen? And then when he talked about Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, how they, by faith, spoke of things not yet seen. Now he's talking about the trust of faith. And then finally, when he talked about Moses' parents, how they Opposed the king's order in order to obey God, he here talks about the risk of faith. Amen? So three things let's say together and then we'll discuss them in details. Number one, the cost of faith. Number two, the trust of faith. And number three, the risk of faith. Let's start with number one, the cost of faith. Now look at that. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, Right? Isaac, the Bible says here in verse 17, Abraham was the father and God asked him that he will offer up his son. Amen? God is saying, give me your son. Now, I don't know about you. That is the toughest thing God can ask a father to do. Amen? Even for me as a dad, like if Micah or Cassia or Sila start coughing and just like, you know, fill or something small like that. I get so worried because I don't want them to be hurt. I want them to be well. And the tiniest of things that can happen to them, I am like really, really, really worried and anxious because I'm afraid that something bad can happen to them. Amen? If one of them gets sick, I say, God, I wish I am the one who's sick, but they're not sick because I don't want anything wrong or bad to happen to my kids, right? Right? Can you imagine God is asking a father to give his son and say, I want you to take a knife, I want you to tie him up and I want to slaughter him for my sake. I cannot imagine even what went through Abraham's head when God commanded him that he will offer up his his son. Amen? Mm -hmm. Now it was even more difficult for Abraham than me. Or than any other father. Because Abraham, Isaac to Abraham wasn't just his son. It, he was his unique son. He was the one through whom Abraham has received the promises. Amen. So for Abraham to offer up Isaac. That means all the blessings and the promises of God that is tied up with Isaac. And the life of Isaac will also be sacrificed. You guys are with me Mm -hmm. so this is a big big sacrifice that god is asking abraham to do so it's not that god's just saying give me one of your sons god is saying give me the one and only the unique son that you have in whom you're gonna receive all the blessings and all the promises so you're giving up your son and all the blessings that you can ever imagine that you will receive amen and before that, that's, chap- that's in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 21, Abraham just dismissed Hagar and Ishmael. And now God is asking for his other son, Isaac. I cannot imagine what was going on through Abraham's head when God commanded him to, to give up his one and only son. Amen? Yeah. But faith and trusting God in the life of Abraham did not come cheap. It was very costly. It would have costed Abraham the best thing, the best thing he could ever have. His one and only, his unique son. It would have cost him the life of Isaac. Yet, we see that Abraham did not hesitate. He offered Isaac up to God because he trusted God and he did not care how much it would cost him to obey and trust God. Amen? Amen. The cost of faith. Let me just take a small Pause here and explain something to you. I think this text is copied from the New American Standard Version. That's why it says here um, the second part of their verse, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Now, this is wrong uh, interpretation in English, this is wrong translation. The Greek word here for his one and only son, his only begotten son, is monogenes. Mono means unique, mono, like something uh, singular, unique. And genes is genesis or origin. So monogenes is the one that is unique in, 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 in where it comes from, the one and only, the unique one. That's what the Greek word should be translated. And this Greek word is extremely important for every Christian to understand how it should be translated. Why? Because that Greek word in the New Testament is used to describe only two people. It used to describe Jesus and it used to describe Isaac here in Hebrews 11:17. So other than Christ in the, in the New Testament, the only other person that this word described was Isaac, right? And you see that word in King James, for example, John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he uh, gave his uh, only, begotten only begotten son monogenēs King James New American Standard Version a lot of translation use the word his only begotten son his one and only begotten son and this is a bad translation and it's really extremely wrong why because if we say that Jesus is begotten then we implies it has to be that Jesus has started at some point of time right this is just no other way around that. We try to bend backward, forward, and all the way try to explain how Jesus can be begotten yet self existing. When, if he's begotten, then he has to start at some point in time. He cannot be self-existing if he is begotten, right? So we mistranslated the word, and now we're trying to come up with all kind of uh, weak arguments, really, to try to explain a misinterpretation, right? We shot ourselves in the foot, and now we're trying to figure out how we can solve this, when we don't even have a problem that we're trying to solve. You guys are with me? The word should be his unique son, his one and only son. Never should be translated as only begotten. The NIV got it right. If you read John 3.16 in the NIV, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Different than the King James and the New American Standard Version. And that's the way the word should be translated. But why? Why should we translate it as the one and only, the unique son of God, instead of the only begotten of God? Well, right here in Hebrews eleven seventeen, 17, it says that Isaac is the only begotten of Abraham. Was Isaac truly the only begotten of Abraham? Ashmael was already a son, right? So Abraham had more sons than Isaac, but Isaac was not the only one that Abraham has begotten. Isaac was the unique one that Abraham had, amen? He was the one through whom the promises of God was tied up. So Isaac wasn't Abraham's only child that Abraham begot at some point. But Isaac was the unique son of Abraham. You guys are with me? And in the same way, we should understand how Jesus is the son of God. Jesus was never begotten at any point. Jesus is the unique son of God. His sonship to God is different than yours and mine when it comes to our relationship to God. Amen? The one and only one. The, the unique one, the one and only. Yes, correct. But Jesus would be one and only one? The unique, correct. The word should be unique. He's the unique son of God. Like you and I, well, the word son of God is used a lot in the scripture. Um, angels are called sons of God. Um, Adam was called son of God. Uh, Solomon was called son of God. David was called son of God. There are many sons of God in the scripture. But Jesus is not like them. His sonship to the Father is extremely unique. He's self-existent, equal in his nature to God, unlike everybody else. Amen? We're clear here? So if you run into a Jehovah Witness or a Muslim or anybody who say, Hey, the Bible says Jesus is begotten, therefore he started at some point and the Father has begotten him, you say, Nope, we shot ourselves in the foot. Those who translate the Greek word monogenes this way are wrong. This word should be uh-huh. translated the unique son of God. He said, no, you're bluffing. It's like, no, you're not. Look at Hebrews 11:17. 17. Isaac is the unique son of Abraham, not the only begotten of Abraham. Amen. version. look at the Greek word, correct, and how it's used. So this is just a side note for you to be prepared. If you run into a Muslim or a Jehovah Witness or anybody like that, you can be able to defend your faith. Now, let's go back to the faith of Abraham here. By faith, Abraham, God asked him to offer his one and only, his unique son, in whom he has received the promises. I love how William Lane um, commented on that. I'm just going to read it because it's just so powerful. I don't need to come up with my own wording. Look at how William Lane described that. When Abraham obeyed God's mandate to leave, or when God commanded him to leave, he simply gave up his past. But when he was summoned to Mount Moriah to deliver his own son to God, he was asked to surrender his future as well. Mm. Isn't that amazing? He was asked to surrender his future as well. The fulfillment of the promise of of an innumerable prosperity was tied securely to the life of Isaac. The demand for the life of Isaac was a fierce challenge to the faith of Abraham, for it threatened the integrity of the promise of God. Isn't that just so powerful? It also seemed to contradict both the character of God and the depth of human affection. Abraham accepted what he could not understand on the basis of his own rich Experiences with God. Amen. He appears to have understood intuitively that the obedience of faith called for an allegiance to God that exceeded beyond even the most intimate family ties. And this is exactly what was asked for Abraham, even his dearest son. I, I only can imagine if, if God was have asked Abraham, go and kill yourself as an offering for me. I would imagine that would have been far much easier for Abraham. Amen. He already have Isaac. He already have kind of the promises of God. But asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, I can only imagine that this will be a whole lot harder on Abraham than even asking to offer up his own life amen but faith is costly trusting god isn't cheap isn't easy and if you're gonna trust god you have to be willing to pay a price maybe even a high price for that amen now let me just point out a small couple of things here god have asked abraham to do some of the craziest Thing that we have ever read in the whole Bible the command of God to Abraham to our son his son is the craziest command the craziest strangest thing we can read about in the scripture yet Abraham did it because he was a man of faith now similarly be very careful God can ask you to do crazy things but if God is asking you to do it then you do the crazy things because you are a man or a woman of faith Faith, You guys are with me? But if you do crazy things without God asking you or because you think that God asking you, you're not a man of faith or a woman of faith. You're just crazy. You guys are with me? This is extremely important. And sadly, this is like prominent in the in the Pentecostal charismatic churches that like we emphasize the Holy Spirit so much that we don't even know God's word. And we go around do crazy stuff that God didn't even ask us to do. You guys are with me? What separates faith from stupidity is a word from God, which nobody will know except you really, right? Mm -hmm. All what I can see is you're doing some crazy stuff, but if you do it because God spoke to you and you know that God spoke to you, then that's faith. If you do crazy things without God speaking to you, then you're just crazy. You guys are with me? There is a fine line between faith and stupidity. So make sure that you don't cross that line easily. Amen. That's why we defined faith as follows. Remember, this is how we started in Hebrews 11, defining faith. Faith is what? Action based on trust in the actual promises of God. Before you go do crazy stuff, you make sure that God spoke to you. Amen. Because if God did not speak to spoke to you, you go out, do crazy stuff. You're going to end up just hurting yourself and come back to God. And say, God, why, why am I going through this? And God's like, well, you choose that. I didn't tell you to do anything like that. You guys are with me? I'm not asking you to doubt God, but I'm just asking you to make sure before you do anything that this is truly God. Amen? 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 Like, think about it. When a missionary take his kids and his family and leave the comfort of the West and go to, like poor country in, in, in Latin America or Africa or Asia or whatever. This is pretty crazy when you look at it from the naked human eye, right? And if you have a family member who's not a believer and he sees that you leave your job, you grab your kids, you leave the good education and all this stuff to go take them in a place that you can even find hot water, they look at that and say, this is crazy, right? And it can't be crazy if God has not commanded you to do that, amen? Amen. But when you do it by, when you do it in obedience to the command of God, and that's faith. Now, the word that the author of Hebrews used here when he described Abraham, I think it's verse eighteen, um, verse nineteen. He considered that God is able to raise the dead. The word considered in Greek is actually means that he was fully convinced. It wasn't just a thought that he has or an opinion that he has, it was his assurance within him that God is truly able to raise the dead. So Abraham actually thought that he would go through the process of slaughtering Isaac, but. He thought that after he slaughtered Isaac, he was fully convinced inside his heart that God will raise Isaac from the dead and he will still receive the promises. Amen? Amen. He was fully convinced. Now, and it says this, from which he received him back as a type. Now, this phrase in uh, Greek, in the Bible, is actually pretty difficult. And it has many possible uh, ways of understanding what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. None of these understandings is um, very clear, but here's what the author of Hebrews might be trying to tell us. Number one, he might be trying to tell us that Isaac almost died, but he really didn't die, right? Because after Abraham tied him up and lifted up his knife to slaughter him, God's voice came and he said, don't kill the lad, I have redeemed him. So even though Isaac didn't physically die, he went through the experience of almost death and then God brought him back from that. So that experience was a type, was kind of a, an example of getting to the point of death and being raised from the dead. You guys are with me? So that's possibly what the author of Hebrews is referring to here. That um, the Isaac almost expired, real death and resurrection, which Abraham was convinced that God will do to Isaac anyways. You guys are with me? So the first understanding is that the experience of Isaac was a type of real death and real resurrection. But number two, that the resurrection of Isaac this way was a type of the resurrection of Christ. And the third option is that Isaac here through his death and resurrection, the author of Hebrews is encouraging his reader that There is a that was a type of the actual resurrection of all believers at the end of the time, which would encourage his readers to endure persecution because they know that life has not yet begun when they are being resurrected. Right. I think the number one for me is the most probable. Uh, I will go with number one if I have to choose. But none of these, this is just more like guessing than trying to um, really know what he's trying to tell us. I think number one will have the most weight for me. Anyways, that's the cost of faith. Faith is costly. Trusting God is not cheap. So you better make sure that God spoke to you before you start doing anything. Amen? Because if God spoke to you, he will bring it to pass. But if he didn't, then it's totally you. You're the one who's responsible for everything. But number two, now the other Hebrews start going fast a little bit. One verse on, on um, in Isaac, one verse on Jacob, one verse on Joseph, one, f- one verse on Moses' parents. So start going quick and we're going to go quick with him. Now we're going to see the trust of faith. How all these patriarchs of the Old Testament trusted God in spite of the fact that they didn't see the fulfillment of the promises. All these verses takes us back to verse 13 when the author of Hebrews spoke about all the patriarchs and he said all these people, all these patriarchs were still living by faith when they died. Remember that phrase, it's very important. All these people were still living by faith when they died they did not receive the things promised. So now the author of Hebrews starts giving us practical examples, show us how all these people were living by faith when they died and they have now received the promises. Isaac, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things yet to be seen. Now, this is a difficult one too. Because if you go back to the book of Genesis, Isaac kind of really didn't bless Esau, right? He blessed Jacob for sure. But the words he spoke to Esau was a little bit hard. He didn't curse Esau. You guys are with me? He didn't curse Esau, say, you curse and, you know, he starts uh, pronouncing God's curses on him. But he didn't really bless him either. So why in the author of Hebrews here saying that Isaac blessed Esau when we don't see that in the book of Genesis? The best understanding, interpretation I found is this. Isaac blessed what God was doing in the life of Jacob and Esau. You guys are with me? So he's not pronouncing specific blessing on Esau. He's more, like, he's more blessing what God is doing in the life of Esau. He, he was blessing the future for Esau that God has already spoken to him. That's for me the most plausible understanding of what, what the author of Hebrews here was telling us. In other words, Isaac, knowing and being fully convinced of God, what God has promised will surely come to pass. Before he died, he blessed what God is surely going to do in the future. In the life of both Jacob and Esau. Amen? And then it says, even regarding things to come. The word even in Greek here is emphatic. It just has a lot of emphasis on it. The idea here is... Isa, Isaac, even though he did not see the future, he did not see Jacob or Esau rece- receiving all the promises of God or what God has for them. Yet, he was so sure of things not yet seen. So much so that he blessed what God was going to do in their both, both of their lives. Amen? And doesn't that take us back to verse 1? Remember what the author of Hebrews said? Faith is evidence of things are not yet seen right assurance of things are not yet seen and we see that in the life of Isaac even though he didn't see God's fulfillment of his promises to Jacob or Esau he blessed it already as though he is saying it and we see the exact same kind of faith in the life of Jacob Jacob the Bible say this before he died when he was about to die he placed his hands on both of Joseph's children and he reversed it. He put his right hand on, on Ephraim, the, the younger, and he put his left hand on Manasseh, the older. You guys remember that from the Old Testament? So much so that Joseph was bothered by this. So he tried to switch back the hands of, of Jacob so he can put his right hand on the firstborn and his left hand on the uh, younger. But Jacob said No. I don't want that. I want my right hand to be on the younger opposite to the tradition of that time. Usually the firstborn is the one who receives all the promises and more blessing than the younger one. Amen? But Jacob himself was the younger and he received the blessing. And to some extent, it appears that Jacob heard from God that somehow in the future, the blessing that he has will go more to Ephraim than to Manasseh. And he chose to trust God in spite of what tradition and customs and the people around him, even his own son was trying to sway him to do. Amen? Again, we see here the trust of faith. Even though you don't see that the promises of God has already took place, you trust and you act on it as if it will surely happen. There is no question in your mind about that. Amen? So Jacob blessed Abraham, Joseph's kids in regarding the future as well. And he reversed his hands, put the right hand on the younger and the left hand on the, uh, on the older. And see here what it says that, and after he blessed both his children, he worshipped leaning on his staff. And then he died. So the last thing that Jacob did in his life is that he worshipped, Right? and he worshiped while leaning on his staff. Staff in that time is a representation of him being a pilgrimage, a stranger. He has his staff so he can walk in different places. The idea here that even to his last moment, even to his last breath, Jacob confessed that he is a stranger and he worshiped God in spite of the fact that he has not seen with his own eyes yet the fulfillment of the promises of God. Amen? Now think about that. Remember verse 13? I just read that to you. What the author of Hebrews said. All these people were still living by faith when they died. And don't we see that vividly? At the moment of their death, both Isaac and Jacob, when at at the very end of their lives, um, they still blessing God. Even while they're dying, they still trusting the very promises of God. Amen. We move forward to Joseph. Also, Joseph, by faith, when he was dying at the moment of his death, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and he gave orders concerning his bones. The idea here again is that Joseph was so sure that God will bring his promises to fulfillment and that the children of Israel will inherit the land of Canaan so much so that before, while he was dying, he told them, take my bones out because I know God will visit you. I know that the promises of God will surely come to pass. Amen? Amen? So again, think about that. The moment when Joseph was dying the moment when Jacob was dying. This is their very last moments on earth. While they're dying, they were still living by faith. Isn't that awesome? While we're still dying, they were still living by faith. And that here we see the trust of faith. Even though they did not see the fulfillment of the promises of God, they trusted him even while... While they're breathing their last, they, they, they still express trust in the very promises and the faithfulness of God. Amen? Mm-hmm. So what we have seen so far, we have seen the cost of faith, God, trusting God isn't cheap. Number two, we have seen the trust of faith, even to the last moment, everyone, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, Joseph we're sure that God will surely fulfill His promises. Verse 23, now we move on to um, Moses' parents. And the Bible said that when Moses was born, they saw that the child was beautiful. Now the word beautiful really is like uh, beyond cute, like literally, it's just physically beautiful. But apparently, we don't know that from the verse here, but somehow, God revealed to Moses' parents that this child has a beautiful future for him. Amen? That God has a beautiful plan for him. And that's what it seems like they saw. They saw by faith that the future of this child will be beautiful. He is beautifully, physically beautiful. He's cute. But there is something more to the word beautiful here. Amen? And now Motha's parents had to make a choice. Remember that the king Pharaoh at that time has issued an order that every child that is born they must kill him. And at that time the king is the law. Amen? It's not like us here. It's not like you have laws and you know supposedly nobody's above the law and all this stuff. Back then the king is the law. Back then, you can be perfectly law-abiding citizen and the king decide to take your life out, then guess what? You're dead. Amen? Or you can be the most notorious murderer of that time and the king decides to let you go free, then you're free. So the king is the law of that time. Now, Moses' parents had a choice. When they, it was somehow revealed to them that this child is beautiful and that God has a plan for him, they had to make a choice either to trust God Either to obey God or to obey the command of the king. You guys are with me? And they knew that obeying the command of God, they must risk, they might risk their own lives. They must even die to obey the very command of God. And what would they do? Did they obey God or did they obey the king? They were not even afraid of the command of the king. They choose to obey God. Amen? And they Amen. They took a massive risk and that's faith. Faith is risk. You can do some stuff that can, might bring harm to you or your family. Again, make sure God spoke to you, right? Because if you do stuff like that and God has not spoken to you, you're just crazy, right? But when God speaks to you, when you hear from God, you might get into harmful way. You might risk a lot. Think of Jim Elliot, the missionary who who, who died pretty much on the mission field to obeying God. Talking about the risk of faith. You guys are with me? Mm -hmm. So trusting God can be costly, can be risky. But you have to make up your mind to choose to obey the command of God. Amen? And look at this. They did not fear the king and they decided to fear God more than they feared the king. Now in verse 27, when Moses grew up, look what the author of Hebrews says about Moses. They say this, by faith Moses left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. Isn't that just amazing? These parents who did not fear the king's verdict taught their son and this disciplined him to the point that he also did not fear the king's anger, right? Their, 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 their conviction that they should obey God more than men, they installed that so much in the life of Moses that even Moses, their son, when he grew up, he decided that he himself too will not fear the king's anger and he will fear God even more than that king. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Again, it's like they were so convicted of that, they even taught it to their own kids, that nothing worth disobeying God, and that faith has risk, but it's absolutely worth it. Amen? All right, let's close with, by saying these three points of faith. We talked about three things today. We talked about the cost of faith. We talked about the trust of faith. And we talked about the risk of faith. Amen? Let's come before the presence of God in prayer.